Today we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah chapter 52 and we're actually going to finish the book today and I was looking at my notes and I was uh, amazed that we actually began the book of Jeremiah a year ago, <laughs> October 26, uh, 2022 and so it's taken us a year to go through the book, uh, 52 chapters but what a book it is, you guys. Um, you know, for us here at Calvary Chapel Almani, just in case you're new or you're kind of wondering how you guys roll as a church, you know, we don't pick what we want to teach, you know. We don't say, hey, that would be a nice topic or that would be something that I think I would enjoy speaking on. We just teach through the Bible. And so here we're in a tough chapter that actually records the fall of Jerusalem. But as we're looking at this chapter, one of the things I pray that we would come away with is just the value of warnings. Um, you know, as we go through life and, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I was asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, what has the Holy Spirit been warning me of lately? You know, what has the Holy Spirit been saying? Hey, Manny, be careful of that. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. Because that might ruin your life. That might disqualify you as a pastor. You know, different things that happen, and we have to really make sure that we listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, I was thinking about a simple song that the kids used to sing. Um, and maybe you guys are familiar with it. Uh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Uh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He's looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above, He's looking down with love. Uh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. And you go on and on. It could be your thoughts. It could be your words. It could be your actions. But if I don't pay attention to the warning of the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to find myself in the same place where the Jews ended up. They ended up eventually being disciplined by God. And it's an unnecessary discipline, you guys. And so really uh, pay attention to those warnings. Um, today as we go through this chapter, it's actually something that's found four times in the Bible. So crucial was this event. And so I wanted to give you guys the, the verses just in case you want to go back and read them that we get a, a full scope of what this is. Uh, we have the four times that this is written in the Bible. I think we do. Oh yeah, there it is. Second uh, Kings 24 uh, and then Second Chronicles 36. Uh, it's interesting, Jeremiah mentions it twice in Jeremiah 39 and Jeremiah 52. So remember, I, I've told you guys, and I, I, mean, I know for me it's a helpful thing. Like, what's the best way to learn? As far as I'm concerned, the best way to learn is to read the Bible. That's the best way to learn, you know. Uh, another way to learn uh, perhaps might be, maybe we'll say the second best way, is um, from the mistakes of others. And so you see someone, and they're, they're doing life in prison. Or maybe they were, they're on death row. Or maybe they lost their family because they fell into adultery. Or maybe they ruined their calling because they couldn't stay pure and stay away from sexual sin. Whatever the case may be, you know, you can look at lives that were ruined and you can learn from them, right? So number one, read your Bible. And that's why I encourage you to read through it, man. Read that Bible over and over again. Read it, heed it, love it, learn it, live it. The Bible. And then number two, you know, the mistakes of others. Hopefully we learn from that. And even the successes of others, right? But then number three is uh, to learn from our own mistakes. 
You guys ever made mistakes? I'm just curious, right? And so we're all going to do it, right? But we shouldn't be doing it over and over and over again. We should learn from those mistakes. We should grow. And so um, hopefully we do learn from our mistakes, maybe even learn from our successes. The, I guess at the end of the day, the one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to be one of those people who never learn. They just never learn. They don't read their Bible. They don't look around. They don't really even look at their own lives. My prayer is that we would grow as Christians. And so right now we really have to make sure we, we value the war of, uh, the, we value the warnings. Um, we're going to see that as a big thing tonight. And so we have a little, uh, um, little video. It's, it's actually like a seven minute, seven second video. See how that, that's kind of cool, huh? See how it's circling? Why are warnings so important? Why are warnings so important? Because there is a war. There is a war going on for your soul. Now, the moment you give your life to Christ, praise God, you kind of win the big war. But, man, I, I've seen guys that were supposed to be uh, called, and unfortunately, they, they fell away. They didn't abide. Just different things happened. They lost the battles. You know, yesterday I was talking to guys and it was just so cool. I mean, when you see these guys and they're tatted down and, you know, they're just, they, they've been through a lot in their life, right? Uh, you love them. You just love them because you know, man, they've been through a lot. And I'm, you know, talking to the, you can guess it. Your dad wasn't there for you, huh? You know, what was it like for you growing up? But, 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 but brother, I want you to know the potential that you have the moment you choose to follow Christ, how, how, how you got to know that. you got to know that because there is a battle going on for you and then you got your little girl. She's only seven years old. you got your gal that hopefully you'll love her enough to marry her. You know, just things like that. You start sharing with people because there is a battle going on. And so you're, you're right there. you got to seize the moment. Because you might not have the opportunity to talk to that individual ever again. And you just want them to win the war. Win the war. So you have to take heed to the warnings. And I would also say, hopefully even hang on to the promises, man, that God has good things for us. So this is a heavy chapter. Uh, let's go ahead and finish this chapter up, the book up. The interesting thing about Jeremiah 52 is it's not written by Jeremiah. <laughs> it was most likely written by, does anybody remember his secretary's name? Baruch. Uh, some of you guys knew that. The, although it's not written by Jeremiah, it's an interesting uh, chapter because as we look at it, uh, some people will say every single verse is a fulfilled prophecy. But anyways, uh, Baruch probably wrote it, his secretary, and um, basically what we find is that it was evidence that Jeremiah was a prophet because all the prophecies that we read about in the book of Jeremiah, they all came to pass. And we see it here in chapter 52. And so the first thing we see is the fall of Jerusalem and the capture of their king, Zedekiah. So look what it says right here in verse 1. It says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. I'm just curious, real quick, is there anyone here that's 21 years old? I'm just curious. Anyone here 21? 
Well, 21, you know, you guys know a lot, but maybe not as much as maybe someone that's older. 21 years old, think about that. You're the king of Israel. I mean, you're the king of Judah. And it says that he reigned for 11 years, so he gets up to, you know, 32 years. It says his mother's name was Hamatul, Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Livna. That's just not a common name, I'm sorry. But um, So anyways, this king, notice what it says in verse 2. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim, that would be his father, had done. So a lot of times the, the, the kids, a lot of times will do the same sins as their dads, huh? That's what happens. Not always, but that's common. So it says in verse 3, for because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Ju- Judah, till he finally, God finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And so God's going to cast them out of his presence and the king of Babylon is going to come. And, you know, I was just thinking about this war that's going on in Israel, the war that's going on in Ukraine. And it just breaks your heart, huh, guys? Doesn't it just break your heart to see so many people dying? And you have, you know, in, in one sense, the innocent. And I was thinking about how much we want the Lord to come But you guys know this, right? That sin entered the world because of us. You know, some people blame God. Oh, God, I can't believe you're doing that. Or, you know, um, whatever. They'll blame the devil. But in all reality, because we chose to sin against God, death entered the world. Sin entered the world. And you want to know something that's even more heartbreaking? Is it's going to get worse. We know that. The scriptures say that. Now, I'm not saying that we enjoy that at all. We don't. But, you know, it's going to get worse, you guys. And this is why we have to understand what the scriptures say. You know, here we see um, Israel was judged. And we've seen they've gone through so much uh, throughout their history. But they had been warned. They had been warned. If, if you go, I want you guys, if you would, turn to Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36, and, and look what it says, beginning in verse um, 11. It says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. You know, can you visualize somebody there? Their their neck is so stiff and they won't turn. You know, and Jeremiah, it says that he spoke. That was someone that God sent. But Zedekiah, and I don't know why, for whatever reason, he did not want to humble himself. He did not want to humble himself. He stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart. He didn't want to turn to God. It says, moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgress more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, 
which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And so just real quick, you know, when you come to church, hopefully you guys know that you're loved. Hopefully you know that you're different. We're not like the rest of the world, you guys. We're supposed to be different. We're set apart. We're consecrated. But here, unfortunately, the, the king wouldn't get right. He, you know, he, he stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart. And he didn't want to turn to God, humble himself. The others were the same. It was getting worse. And look what it says in verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. You know, one of these days, some of you guys have kids already. Um, Maybe for some of you, it's going to be in the future. You know, and when your kid does something wrong, you know, you usually, you know, you try to just talk to them. Hey, mijo, don't do that. And, uh, you know, let's just say they continue in, in, in their, in their uh, resistance, their rebellion, their disobedience. Eventually, it comes to a place huh, where you have to give them a little spanking, right? You guys uh, remember that as parents? Don't, don't mark them up. Don't do it in anger. Um, don't give them any bruises. Don't hit them anywhere uh, where you shouldn't. But there's a little bit of padding right there, right? You want to make it sting a little bit. And, uh, or whatever, maybe for some of you here, they, they can't use the phone. I don't know what the, the ways that you would discipline them. And, and so with, with Israel, with, with the Jews, God, because of the fact that he loved them and he didn't want them to continue in their sin so that they would be destroyed, he had to discipline them to kind of wake them up. And so what we see, though, is that God was warning them. God was warning them. And God was warning them because he loved them. And I just want to tell you guys, God warns me. I don't want you to think that I'm up here and that I got it all together and that Manny's preaching at me. I, I'm, tell, I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you this because I know what the devil does, what the world does, what the flesh does, and how they, 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 they will entice you to behave in such a way that will hurt you and your family. And so when you get those warnings, hey, be careful, little eyes, be careful, little ears, be careful, little feet, whatever it is, you know, you're not reading, you're not praying, you're not really in this, then, you know, my my encouragement to you, whatever it is that God says, you have to get this right. It's time. If he's telling you that, it's because he loves you. My encouragement to you is don't delay Man, go for it right there and then. Because unfortunately, a lot of times people suffer unnecessarily because we won't heed the warnings. And so back in Jeremiah, if you would, we go back there and we see that this, this guy Zedekiah, he did something that a lot of the kings did. He did evil, it says in verse 2, in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so just in case, and again, just re- teaching the Bible, right? That's all we're doing. You guys okay with that, right? Just teaching the Bible. Sometimes people think they could sin and God doesn't see. But there's, no, there's nothing. God, God knows your thoughts. God knows every word we speak. 
Everything we do in the dark, God sees it all. God sees what we're looking at on the phone every single night. And so this guy, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We have to just know this, and it's just a theological truth that will actually purify us. We can't hide our sins. You know, I pray that we know, like I, I love the, the scripture in Hebrews 4.13. It says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wouldn't it be weird if one day, I don't know how, how it's going to happen, but, get, but I'm naked, God sees everything. And so, I don't know, wouldn't it be a, a weird if one day I stood before God and God said, hey, why did you look at, why would you watch that movie with nudity? When you have a wife that the Bible says that you're to be satisfied with your wife, why would you do that? I don't know, it just says right here that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God said, why did you do that? I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's important for us to understand this. And it's, a, it's just a wonderful thing when we walk in a healthy fear of God, a healthy understanding that he knows all my thoughts, he knows all my, uh, my words, my conversations, what, what's going on in my life. And like I said, it's not just so that he can, he's ready to hit me. Okay, man, you messed up like that. No, it's because he loves me. Right? Pastor Chuck would say he loves you so much that he can't take his eyes off you. Right? And, and so, all this happened in Jerusalem and Judah until he finally, God said, cast them out from his presence. And so we read in verse 4, it says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of Zedekiah by the fourth month on the ninth day of the month. And so that would be like someone surrounding, let's just say someone surrounded the city of Elmani for a year and a half. And they did not allow any food, anything in. I mean, you'd run out of hot Cheetos like that, let me tell you, man. You would run out of food. And so imagine that, you know, a year and a half, nothing was allowed in. They, they, they built the siege wall. And it says in verse 6, by the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Now, I was very severe, not to gross you out, but I'm probably going to. You know, sometimes in these sieges, we read it in the Bible they would eat their, they would eat people. That's how horrible this was. You don't have to go through that, my friend. You don't have to. Whatever the discipline might be, God wants to bless your life. God wants to bless your life. It's simple obedience. Stop kicking against the goats. Right here, it was just a horrible thing. I mean, imagine what would happen if this you know, no food entered the city. They didn't have freezers. They, they didn't even have canned items, right? Eventually, they ran out of food, and so they ran. But now they're weak. Now they're vulnerable. We read in verse 7, Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, 
even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around. And they went by way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. Now, it's interesting, again, so, you know, a year and a half, they're surrounding them, everybody's weak, now the Babylonians know they're vulnerable, it's time to break in. So they go in, and if you read the history, they actually set up their, 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 you know, their, their, their camp there in the middle of the city, but the king and the guys, they thought they can get away. They went to Jericho, Jericho is 15 miles away from Jerusalem, and so I don't know, what's 15 miles away from Almani, what? Uh, what I don't know. It's, I don't know. I'm thinking like Ontario. Maybe that's too far. S- uh, San Dimas. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, you're here and you get all the way to San Dimas. You think you're good. You think, hey, man, I got this. Jeremiah said I was going to get captured and I was going to get killed. Oh, that, that guy's wrong. And so he's, he's there and he thinks he's got it made in the shade. And next thing you know, even though it's 15 miles away, it says they overtook them. They overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And he killed all the princes of Judah in Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. Now, when you read Jeremiah and, you know, you read Second Kings, you read Second Chronicles, it didn't have to end like this. It didn't have to imagine. You guys know how much you love your kids, right? You love your kids. I mean, they're like on the top of the list. But you're there, you get captured. Why? Because you didn't want to humble yourself. You didn't want to humble yourself. Next thing you know, you know, they capture him, they bind him, they take him up to Riblah. I think we actually have a map here I wanted to show you. Just it's a little bit of a distance. So the other map shows uh, Riblah, if they're not mistaken. Yeah. So there you can see Judea. Do you see the entire Babylonian Empire in the green, uh, the, the lighter green uh, section or whatever? I don't know. And um, so you see Ju- Ju- Jerusalem down here. Um, Jericho would be pretty close to the Jordan River, just on the west side. And then what you find is that they, they capture him there and they take him all the way up to Riblah where the king is. And there they pronounce judgment upon um, uh, Zedekiah. But before he, they, 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 they gouge his eyes out, they make him watch the execution of his sons. And so I don't know how they killed his sons, but I have a feeling it was not pretty. I mean, more than likely, he was forced to watch the torture of his children. And then, right after his children died, they gouged out his eyes. And so, this didn't have to happen. But what we find, you guys, is the Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. You know, and and he wants me to humble myself. 
He wants me, and this guy wouldn't even listen to Jeremiah. I, you know, the king, I'm the king. Who do you think you are? You know, you're this little, this little guy right here that we put in the, in the, in the pit. You know, you ain't nothing. And, and he, yet he was the prophet that God had given to the land. But he didn't want to listen to him. He was listening to the other false prophets. And so his children pay the price and then they, they gouge out his eyes. Now, it's interesting to me that they, they caught Zedekiah in Jericho. You guys remember uh, how, why Jericho is famous? You guys probably remember, right? When they first entered the land, you read about it in the book of Joshua, chapter 6. Remember they marched around the city? One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day, and then, that, then they marched around seven times, which is not a very wise uh, war strategy from a human perspective. But when they did that, God, God just gave them this victory, right? And so what a difference, what a difference between when, you know, you're, you're abiding in Christ and you're, you're humbly, you know, sincerely trying to obey him. And there God gives them this amazing victory in life. But then because they didn't want to obey him, there in the very city where God had flexed his muscles and showed how awesome he was, it was there that the final human king of Judah or Israel was captured. His kids were killed and they gouged out his eyes. Now one day there'll be one more king, his name is Jesus, and he's not just human though, he's also divine. But it's just a lesson, okay? It's a lesson I pray for all of us. You know, I, I know some guys leave their families, they go, they marry someone else, and they think that they're gonna, they got away with it. They didn't get away with it. One day, they're going to stand before God. God's going to deal with them. And not only that, every single day of their life, they have to face the conviction and just the discipline of God. So we, my prayer is that we would know the, the holiness of God you know, it's interesting um, when you look at this right here again, verse 10, the, the, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Verse 11 says he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters and took him to Babylon and put him in Jericho till the day of his death. The interesting thing is Ezekiel had prophesied that one day Judah's king would be taken to captivity, but he wouldn't see it. Now that was, seems like an oxymoron. You mean to tell me someone's going to go into Babylon, into captivity, but they're not going to see it. You're like, well, how is that possible? And here we see the fulfillment of that. Ezekiel twelve thirteen it says, I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. And so it's a fulfillment of exactly what happened to Zedekiah, whose eyes were gouged out. And so it's an interesting prophecy here. Not only that, there's another prophecy, if you want to write it down, or just, you know, the Bible is just so amazing. Like I said, uh, David Guzik said, every single verse is a fulfilled prophecy of this chapter. So it's an amazing chapter. But in uh, Jeremiah 34, 1 through 5, it talked about uh, King uh, Zedekiah having a glorious burial. And so you're like, wait a minute, time out. He just got his eyes gouged out. He's going to be taken to Babylon. 
how can he have a glorious burial? Well, what happened was apparently, according to Josephus, who was a historian, it says that Nebuchadnezzar kept Zedekiah in prison until he died, and then he gave him a magnificent burial. And so we see it in history, amazing how God's word comes to pass. So next we have in verses 12 through 16, the burning of the city, the taking the Jews into captivity. It says in verse 12, now in the fifth month, on the 10th day of the month, so more than likely they conquered the city. So now it's a month later. It says right here, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poor people. The rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had deserted the king of Babylon, and the rest of the craftsmen. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. So I don't know if you guys have noticed, like, there's no emotion. There's this, this is a fax. Boom, 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 boom. And so that's another reason we know Jeremiah didn't write it. Just in case you're wondering, does Jeremiah have a heart? Um, the next book in the Bible, do you guys know what the next book is? Lamentations. And there you're going to see he's weeping. He's weeping. Because they burned down the temple. They, they ravished the women. You know, the men were slain. The sword was not spared. Death. Imagine. And we see, you know, what has happened with, you know, people getting burnt, houses getting burnt, cities getting burnt. Right here he's just mentioning the facts. You know, it's interesting. We, when, you, when you put together the Babylonian Chronicles, we can actually pinpoint the very day. It was August 17th, 586 B.C., when this uh, guy, Nebuzarad, and the captain of the guard, he goes in there. They've already conquered the city. Now their job is to destroy the city. That's their job now because this is now the third time. Remember, the first time was 605. They didn't listen. 697 again, they didn't listen. And now it's 586. And their Babylonians are saying, enough, right? And so this guy, Nebuzaradan, is an interesting um, individual. Nebuzaradan, that is actually a title in the original language. And it means the chief executioner or the slaughterer. To me, in one sense, he's kind of symbolic of the devil. And that's what the devil does. You guys know that, right? The thief has not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I pray that you're having an abundant life. You guys, we don't have to be perfect. All you have to do is be sincere. Do you love the Lord? Do you love him? Do you know he loves you? You guys know that, right? then we can go forth and enjoy life. We can have pizza. We can go to the post. I mean, I just think of things like that. I'm like, wow, Lord. You know, of course we know that there's so much going on in this world, but we find satisfaction and we find peace 
in a personal relationship with God, right? Not a religion, but this relationship that we have. You know, and we're looking at stuff like this, and it's just heartbreaking that the temple was burnt. Um, as a matter of fact, the Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary uh, on the Old Testament as well as the oral law that the Hebrews had, it said that the Babylonians, when they burnt it down, first they entered the temple, and for two days in the temple, the, the holy temple of Solomon, they desecrated the temple. They defiled it with all the things that you can possibly think of. They did that in the temple, and then uh, they burnt it down. And so we read that they plundered the temple in verse 17, which, by the way, again, is a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. You know, if you read uh, Jeremiah 27, uh, uh, 16, all the way through 28, 17, what you'll find is that there was this one guy, Hananiah. He said, oh, no, the Babylonians will never come. The Babylonians, you know, they're, they're going to bring back what they took um, in 605 B.C. They're going to bring back those things. And, and Jeremiah said, no, they're not. And he said, oh, yes, they are. And so, you know, Jeremiah's like, well, you're a false prophet. And that guy ended up dying. But now we see Jeremiah's prophecy come to pass. They actually took everything away. Look what it says in verse 17. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, uh, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all their bronze to Babylon. They also took uh, away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the bowls, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. The basins, the fire pans, the bowls, the pots, the lampstands, the spoons, and the cups, whatever was solid gold and whatever was solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, the 12 bronze bulls which were under it, and the carts which King Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. And so if you maybe make a little mental note of that. The bronze was beyond measure. Okay? Okay, we'll come back to that later though. Verse 21 says, Now concerning the, the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits. So they had these uh, columns. One of them, it was 27 feet tall. A measuring line of 12 cubits could measure its circumference. And so the circumference of the column was 18 feet and its thickness, so it was hollow, but the thickness of the bronze was about, it says four fingers, so right around three inches. Uh, that's just kind of showing how glorious this place was, how much bronze there was. And it says a capital of bronze was on it and the height of one capital was five cubits with a network and pomegranates all around the capital, all of the bronze. The second pillar was with pomegranates was the same. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates all around on the network were 100. And so you're, you're here, you're probably wondering, why are they talking about pomegranates? You know, why are they talking about this? And you guys, you remember, okay? This is God's word. This is the Bible. Do you think that's no big deal? Do you think it's insignificant? Absolutely not, you guys. My prayer is that when we're coming, even to chapters like this, we're like, okay, Lord, you know, what are you trying to, to tell me? What are you trying to teach me here? You know, basically what he's saying is that, you, you know, I had so much for you. 
God is saying, so I blessed you in such a wonderful way. But because you chose not to humble yourself, because you chose not to listen to Jeremiah, this is, the, the, this is what's taken away. Yet you, you, lose, you lose everything. And so for us, I don't know, maybe it will be, you know, the finances. Uh, maybe it will be. But more important than that is the calling. The calling upon our life to represent God. Do you realize that if we don't acknowledge His holiness and if we don't humble ourselves, that we can lose the, these beautiful things? No, right here, the, Jeremiah's, you know, as we see the close of the book, he's just saying, it was so beautiful. Those, imagine, 27 feet tall, um, you know, 18 feet in circumference, three inches thick was that bronze, and on 96 pomegranates on each one. The gold was worth $160 million, just the gold itself. And, and they, lost, they lost everything. And so when you look at this, you know, the interesting thing to me, this is kind of a side note, is verse 20, it says, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. Now, in the Bible, it might be good for you to know, gold is symbolic of deity. Silver is symbolic of um, redemption. And bronze is symbolic of judgment. And so uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, to me, I, I've, I always pause whenever I read that because what that means is that the, the bronze, the judgment, it could not be measured. And what that ultimately points to is Jesus. The, the, the judgment, the, the sins, what he went through on the cross for us is immeasurable. We will never understand what Jesus Christ did on that cross to save us. Because bronze is symbolic of judgment. That's where they would offer their sacrifices. That's why, uh, you know, they were told in Numbers 21 to put that, you know, that, that serpent on that. The, the whole bronze there was symbolic of how Jesus was lifted up and he died for us. And so even in something like this, you guys, even in looking at this, I pray you would know how much you're loved and that Christ would go through that for us. Now you're wondering why the pomegranates, Manny, though I am, wor- I am wondering about the pomegranates. Well, according to Jewish tradition, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, how many seeds, do you guys know how many seeds are in a pomegranate? Does anybody here know? You should know this. 613 seeds. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the Jews thought there were 613 seeds. And so maybe there was a few. They cut them up. They counted the seeds. And there was 613. And they thought, wow. You know, so uh, according to the Jewish mentality in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. And so the pomegranates represented that. Not only that, they represented a, a sanctity, fertility, and, and abundance. I remember growing up, I had a pomegranate tree in my yard. And in one sense, they kind of look ugly on the outside. Sometimes they're kind of dented and discolored, right? But aren't they good? And not only that, are they good for you? They're very good for you. If you go try to buy some pomegranate juice, ooh, it's expensive, man. <laughs> but again, ultimately just talking about 
the blessings that they had at one time that they lost. They lost. And so, again, looking at this, uh, verse 24 talks about the leaders that are taken. It says in verse 24, the captain of the guard took Sarahiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. So again, this guy goes in. He's like, okay, we conquered the city. Okay, who are your leaders? Who are your spiritual leaders? Who are the guys? And he's singling them out. He's gathering them together. Verse 25, he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, seven men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the principal scribe of the army who mustered the people of the land, 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city, and Nebuzaradan, that slaughterer guy, the captain of the guard, took these, brought them to the king of Babylon. We saw where Ribla was. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Ribla in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive. Notice what it says right there from its own land. That was supposed to be yours, but they were taken away captive. Verse 28 says, These are the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Jews. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews, 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. And so when you look at this, again, um, one of the things you'll find in the Bible is that whenever they're doing the numbers, uh, you know, they would typically just number the men, not the women, not the children. And these numbers right here are relatively small. They're normally understood as referring to only a portion of the exiles. And again, like I said, only the adult males of that portion. So imagine going away and you're led away as, as captives in a foreign land. And so when I read this, and, and you know, I want to finish well. You know, I, I, I don't think, well, Manny, you know, you've been a Christian for 34 years, and, you know, you've stayed on track, and, and you're good. No, I mean, man, let me tell you something. You've got to be okay scrubbing toilets, Manny. Don't ever think too highly of yourself. Don't ever think too highly of yourself. Don't ever stop praying. You know, and you got to be a better husband and you have to be a better father and a better son. I don't want sin in your life. See, that, those are the things, that, those are the thoughts that I deal with all the time. You need to go to the gym and there's a gal there. Oh no, I'm not going to go that way because I serve a holy God. We have to have this understanding that he sees everything because some people, they're just plain church. And when I read this right here, I, I read the warning. I, I read the warning. And there were some, they were supposed to be here in the land representing God as a witness to the world, but they were carried away captive. And, you know, when you read the Psalms, it's like, man, how can we sing the songs of the Lord by the rivers of Babylon? Not that God will ever leave us. We're going to see there's hope here. But, you know, the Lord brought me to this chapter because he wants to purify my life. 
because I know he loves me. As a matter of fact, look at the way the chapter ends. Look at verse 31. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, that evil Merodach, that's a pretty cool, I mean, not a cool name, that's a weird name, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, he lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. Now, when you look at history, you'll find that uh, uh, there, were, there were two sons. Jehoiachin was there in 597. He only reigned for three months, and then he was taken to Babylon. And so then his brother, we just read about him, Zedekiah, he reigned for 11 years. But this guy Jehoiachin, he's been in prison there in Babylon for 37 years. That's a long time, right? Most people would have probably given up by then. But look what it says right here. In the first year of his reign, he lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. Verse 32, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. And you read that and you're like, well, that's an interesting way for the book of Jeremiah to end. You know, this guy, Jehoiachin, he's been there for 37 years. And then, you know, the guy, you know, the, he lifts up his head changes his clothes, he gives him bread each day, he speaks kindly to him, and, and for the rest of his life, one day at a time, he has his provision of the king, the king. And so what is God trying to say here? I believe that right here, it's a, a little foreshadowing of the blessing and restoration that God would give to the people of Israel. I'm not done with you. Maybe there's someone here who needs to know that. Maybe you've blown it. And God says to you, I'm not done with you. I still have blessings and kindness. As a matter of fact, right there where it says where he lifts up their heads, it's an interesting uh, phrase in the Hebrew language. It's founded on the observation that those who are in sorrow hold down their heads. And so they're, you know, imagine you're in prison for 37 years. What do you, ha- what do you have to, to lift up your head for? Nothing. But then eventually God says, hey, chin up, chin up. I- I've got something good on the horizon now. And what God is doing here at the end of the book of Jeremiah is God is saying, yeah, you were disciplined, Israel. I, I had to do that. But, I am, you are not destroyed. And what God did, and as a matter of fact, he said the same thing in Jeremiah 29, is I, I still have a, a good plans for you. Okay, so some of you guys here, maybe, you know, you look back on your life, and there's a lot of mistakes. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But, but what, what we have to do today is we can't look back. We can't look back. We have to look forward. Like my dad. 
my dad, at the end of his life, he gave his heart to Christ at the end of his life. And I'll never forget, his favorite verse was in the book of Job. And in the book of Job, it says that God blessed the latter years of Job more than the former years. I pray that we would finish well, that whatever is ahead for you, that we would go, man, with a a reckless abandon. Because God, even in wrath, even in wrath, like Habakkuk, it says that, that even in wrath, he remembers mercy. And so he offers that to us, you guys. And so let's do that. Let's do that. You guys like bread? You can have the bread of God every single day of your life. But don't play church. Don't mess around. Don't be prideful. Be humble. Be humble. And watch what God will do.